Well, good morning. I made it. Normally, normally there are three songs from water to here, but two, I made it. Aren't you proud? It is good to see you this morning. Uh, so the, the, the word on my heart, we're going to take communion this morning. So I want to just uh, give us some framework for understanding what we're doing. And the word that was on my heart is, was, it was a phrase, the phrase true north. Has anybody ever heard that phrase before? True north, you good? Yeah, okay, a few of you, good. Well, I did a little Googling, as, uh, as you always do when you're curious about something, did a little, a little Googling, and something popped up. There's a, there's a book, uh, and maybe you've heard of this, uh, actually the, the phrase discovering your true north. You ever heard that maybe before? That was a phrase that was coined by a guy named Bill George. Bill is a, a Harvard Business School professor, and he wrote a book uh, by that name. And, uh, and of course, you know where the idea comes from, discovering your true north. The idea comes from finding north on a, on a physical compass. And the idea is that the, the heading of the compass, the north heading on the compass, gives you a reliable sense of direction. And no matter where you are, no matter what is going on, you have the ability to uh, look at that uh, compass and gain your whereabouts to know where you are and to know what direction you are going. Uh, but where do you think that Bill, in his book, where do you think that he advises us to go when it comes to the discovery of our true north? Where do we think that he's going to ask us to go? He's going to say, go on the inside. It's where you will find your true north. Look within yourself. Look to your passions and your desires, and there you're gonna find the direction that's going to pull you forward, that's gonna orient you to who you are in the world and what your direction going forward looks like. Now, I wanna just say, I don't know Bill, and I'm sure he's a fantastic guy, and my point today is not to, uh, not to uh, throw any shade on his book or on who he is. I've never even read the book. Uh, and I'm sure it's a great, I'm sure it's a great book, but here's the deal. It is a, I thought, a really powerful illustration of the two competing narratives that you and I face every single day. And the two competing narratives go something like this. The first is, and I think uh, that, that it comes from what we've just said, uh, that, that Bill uh, says, look to within. In one of these narratives, the, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is our meal and our sustenance. And that narrative places you and I right there at the center of the story. And that story tells us that we are fueled by and enriched by, that we discover who we are by doing what we want, by looking within, discovering our passions and desires, by doing what we want and what we feel and what we desire. And if we can just somehow get into that place where we discover those things, then it is there where we will find who we are, where we will find meaning, and where we will find direction. That is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and that is a narrative that is everywhere in our world. But it's not the narrative of Scripture. Scripture begins with the claim, in the beginning, God created and in the beginning, we have two categories. I'm not gonna go into it because we've gone into it so many times here before, but there's two categories. There is God who stands alone in the category of I am that I am. And then the other category, everything else that comes after and that is not holy and set apart is called creation and fits into that category of creation. The story of scripture doesn't tell us to look within. The story of scripture points us to a very different place, to a different center of the story. 
it reminds us that the story that we are in is not actually about us at all. Look at Isaiah chapter 40. I'm gonna read just a few passages from that chapter. Verse 12 says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span? Enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Look at verse 21. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? Look at verse 25. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. We know what the word holy means. It means altogether different, set apart. Whom will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. The story of scripture doesn't tell us to look within to discover true north. The story of scripture actually tells us that the entirety of the story is focused on an altogether different place. And that place in which all things are focused is the one who is alone holy. It is he that is the I am that I am, that, that without counsel from anyone, without knowledge or help from anyone, created all that there is to be created, that there is no flaw, no anything of change that is found within himself. He is perfect and good. And scripture tells us that he is the center of the story. And Isaiah chapter 40 asks us this question, do you not know Now, why would a question be placed right there in the context of the explaining of who God in all of his power and all of his might is? Because it is that question, it is that question that stops us in our endless pursuit of self-centered living and reminds us that we are not at the center of the story. Do you not know? It causes us to pause and step back and remember who God is. But what does this have to do with communion. What does this have to do with the bread and the cup? Well, communion, as we've taught in here many times before, communion comes out of the Passover meal. Jesus is actually what we call communion. Jesus is celebrating the Passover meal with his disciples. And it's a meal that Jesus commands his followers to routinely observe in the wake of his death and in his resurrection because it reminds them about who he is and about what he has done. Jesus actually chose the Passover Seder, specifically the bread and the cup, as the interpretive moment for everything that he was about to accomplish. Jesus wanted, before he went to the cross and before he was raised from the dead, he wanted fixed in the minds of those who follow him the story of God rescuing his people out of Egypt and bringing them into freedom and life, establishing them as a covenant people in him. Jesus wanted that to be the interpretive backdrop for everything that he was about to do. The new exodus was upon us. 
And so Jesus used the Passover as a way of explaining what he was going to do. But it was in the Passover meal that Jesus revealed the real true north. It was in the Passover meal that Jesus revealed what would be the center and the climax of the story. And the center of that story was not human beings at all. At the center, at the climax of the story is God giving his body, spilling his blood on behalf of all that he had created. And Jesus wanted his followers then, before that chaotic and confusing moment, he wanted to ground them in the reality of what he's gonna do. And then and continuing, Jesus wanted his followers to frequently partake of this meal because it was this meal that reminded them of their true north. It was this meal that reminded them, don't look within yourselves to discover the way in which you have been called to go. Look to me. Look to the one who created it all and sacrificed it all for you. It is in this meal that then and now we are reorienting our lives to a very, very, very different story. The communion table reminds us of who we are by reminding us which story we are in. You and I will leave this place and we will wake up tomorrow morning on a Monday. And I've heard from a few of you that this time of year it's Monday every day of the week. But on Monday we will step into whatever our world looks like and Monday through Saturday, everywhere we go we will get the same message, the same story. And it's the message that you belong at the center. This story really isn't about God and his glory. This is about you and your glory. That's the Monday through Saturday story. And so we come in here on a Sunday And we push back against that narrative by together proclaiming that we are not at the center of the story, by partaking in a meal that places God right there at the center where he belongs. This is the meal that you and I should partake in to reorient the entirety of our week. This is the meal where we push back against everything that we hear Monday through Saturday. This is the meal where we come together and say no We refuse the the, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We will partake in the tree of life, which is Jesus. And his death and his resurrection, everything that we are is because of the life that he has given to us. And we are gonna begin today to live our Monday through Saturday with the body and the blood as our true north. There's a remarkable passage, and we quote it often in Galatians chapter two. In verse 20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You just saw this demonstrated in baptism. Before we baptize anybody, we talk them through the story. 
We talked them through the significance of what they're proclaiming to their church family, how if we were to leave them under the water, they would die. They literally go to a place of death. They have died a death with Christ so that in Christ they could be raised to life in the life that he has given him, given them through his resurrection. And Paul says, literally, quite literally, I have died. The center of the story was not about me at all. In fact, this story required for me to be wholly done away with. Me at the center of the story didn't bring about life and truth and goodness and justice. Me at the center of the story brought about violence and destruction. Me at the center of the story brought about death. In sin, there is only death. But at the center of the story is a God who has given himself so that sin might be forgiven and that death and sin might no longer rule and reign over those who are called by his name. So at the center of the story is where we die and when we are given life in Christ, he says, I, it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you see it? Do you see that in Christ there's a total reorientation of the story? Me at the center brought about only death, and so it is with Christ that I die. But God's desire is not that death should hold me, not that sin should be Lord over me, and so he did everything that was necessary that I might be freed and forgiven so that the life I now live, I don't live according to myself because I have died. There is a new life in me and that new life in me is none other than the presence of God who gave himself for me and so now, instead of living my life at the center where death reigns, I live my life displaced from the center. I live my life in the sacrifice of worship, laying down everything that I am because it is he who belongs at the center. And him at the center of my life brings about the fruit of the spirit. When he's at the center of my life, it is not me that you see as I live, it is him. Because it was all about him in the beginning. It was all about his glory. And the gift of the life that you and I now get to live by faith in Christ is that the entirety of our lives, once ravaged in sin, can now bring about and manifest the glory of the one who belongs at the center of it all anyway. What a profound grace that someone who was once a rebel, that someone that was once a thief, that someone that was once an adulterer and a murderer now that life laid down is buried and will never return. That I've been made new. And now that old shell of a man that's dead and gone now laid down over to him. Instead of bringing pain and destruction and violence into the world, now the thing which God has given me the gift to do by his grace is to bring a light to his glory. What a profound grace that you and I can live for his glory. 
What a profound grace that you and I don't have to be at the center. He is our true north. In his body and in his blood, that is where we find who we are. This is the meal where we reorient ourselves to the real story. This is the meal where we remember all that has been done on our behalf. And I wanna invite you to partake in that meal this morning. I'm gonna give you some very simple instructions. We're gonna do this the way that we have done this the last several times. But when you come to the front, what you're gonna hear, and it's important that you realize what's being said to you, what you're gonna hear as you take that bread is you're gonna hear one of our pastors, one of our elders say to you that this is the body of Christ broken for you. And you're gonna take that bread and you're gonna move to the cup. And as you dip in that cup, you're gonna hear one of our pastors, one of our elders say to you that this is the blood of Christ poured out for you. And then you're gonna take and you're going to eat as a symbol of the life of Christ that is in you. As a symbol of the forgiveness of your sin and what has been paid that you and I might live. And so just some really simple instructions this morning. I want you to know that if you are a guest with us that here we practice a communion that is open to all who would say that they are followers of Jesus. If you've given your life and surrendered your life to him, you need not be a member of this church. You need only to be a Christ follower and you are welcome to participate in communion with us. If not, if you're a guest here, if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, don't, don't, it's okay, it's, that is so good. We are so excited that you are here to be with us uh, in one of the most important things that we get to do together. And we want you to ask as many questions as you wanna ask. And uh, we're, just, we're just so happy that you, uh, that you are here to see uh, us recenter ourselves to the, real, to the real story. The last time we did this, our chairs were a little different. So I need to tell you some practical things. Are you listening? Give me a thumbs up if you're listening to this. This is important, okay? It's good. Sometimes I wonder. <laughs> we're gonna do this in different sections this time. So we're gonna start. Uh, and elders, why don't you guys, pastors, why don't you guys go ahead and get in place? We're gonna start with our outside two sections. And what you're gonna do when you are ready, and we don't want you to rush, when you, but just when you're ready, you're gonna get up and you're going to exit to the outside of your section. Point to where that is, right out here towards these stairs. You're gonna exit to the outside. You're gonna make your way to the back of the room, to the back of the room, and then you're gonna come all the way over and into the center aisle. If you were sitting on this side, walk up the aisle on this same side. If you were sitting on this side, you're gonna walk up the aisle on this side and then you're just simply going to go to the bread and the cup that is on your section. If you'll do me a huge favor and not crowd the person in front of you, but give them just a couple of feet of space, uh, don't be too pushy, we've got plenty of time here. That was what you call a sermonette. So we are, uh, we've got plenty of time. And we're gonna go through and you're gonna take the bread, you're gonna hear those words, and then you're gonna move over to the cup, dip in the cup and eat. And once you have done that, please then exit back to uh, the, the row that you were seated in. Once we get the, the outside two sections done, we will move to the inside sections and you will do the same thing except for you don't have to go all the way to the stairs. You only need to go into these two aisles here, go to the back and come up the front. Thumbs up, middle sections if you've got that. Okay, good. So good, so good.
when we get all through, um, we're gonna sing. I love, I love that passage that Caleb read this morning that tells us that after they partook of the meal that they sang together. And we're gonna spend time doing that this morning. We're gonna take the meal together and then we are going to lift our voices, not to our own praise and glory, but to his, the one who has set us free and rescued us. Parents, if you've got kiddos uh, that are not ready to take communion, that they're not believers yet, that's okay. I would encourage you to bring them with you. They won't take communion, but they will up close see you take communion. It's a really helpful and powerful teaching lesson. It's a, it's a great way for you to explain to them what God has done for you and why you do what you do. It's a great teaching tool within the home and I would highly encourage you to, even though it may be a little chaotic, but bring them with you uh, and let them observe uh, you take communion. So I think that's everything. I think we're instructed, we are good. If you would begin outside groups, uh, balcony, your stuff's up front, uh, right up there at the top. You go whenever, okay? You're just good. We're just turning you loose. You guys are good whenever. And there are, if you need gluten-free bread, it is right over here at this table to my right, and you can just make your way there as well. Church, I wanna invite you to take part in the meal that centers us back where the story really belongs. Outside sections, when you are ready, you may go.